During the summer, we have been going through the book of Acts, and this week we are focusing on chapter 8, and the title I had for this is a Missionary Encounter, can you put the slide up, the uh, Missionary Encounter and What Stands in the Way, and so that What Stands in the Way is actually a quote from the latter part of this chapter, um, but missionary encounter is a specific phrase which was invented by um, a missionary kind of theologian named Leslie Newbegin, and I know Most of us don't know that name, but we should. I highly recommend pretty much anything I've read by this guy. I think he's my favorite Christian author um, now. He he was a missionary in India. He went to India in the 1930s as a missionary, and he's from from England. And then he did all of that. And then when he was old, he went back to England to, like, retire or whatever and found England to be very different than when he'd left it. And that kind of informed the latter part of his thinking and work of, you know, gosh, this culture I just left which was not Christian at all, was far more open to talking about God than this culture that I came back to that, in fact, sent me. And so he talks a lot about how to in, have a, what he calls a missionary encounter with your culture. And he defines that in several different ways. And so um, first off, he's, here's like three things it isn't and then the three things that it is. And I want us to pay attention to these as we go through this story. So the first one he says is not withdrawal from the world. So if you think that practicing is Christianity where you're going to witness to the world, like Jesus is sending his disciples to do in this book of Acts, it's not withdrawal. So it's not like, well, I'll just pull out of everything, everything that's non-Christian, I'll just separate myself from all of it and turn into this really tiny little self-focused world. That's not a missionary. That will not produce a missionary encounter. That's not a Christian life that we're called to live. He said it's also not a takeover, either politically or in some weird synthesis of the church and the state. That's not what we're called to do either. So we're not called to, like, you know, circle the wagons and just focus on ourselves and protect ourselves just from the outside culture. And we're not called to just take over everything in this weird kind of Sharia law type way. And he said, and we're not to be too assimilated or infected by our culture to where we can't interact anymore separately from it. Meaning... If you do some sort of statistical work that Christian people's lives and other people's lives and the culture are identical, like, well, they spend their money the same, well, they spend their time the same, where they spend their values the same, or whatever, you know, there's no distinguishing marks. He goes, well, then you're not having a missionary encounter because you have to have at least these three things in his mind, and I agree with him. And a missionary encounter, which means a meeting where you're witnessing the gospel of Jesus to the culture in a way that's effective. It has to be at least three things. An encounter that confronts, if the church is truly, and he says this, if the tr- church is truly encountering the culture with the gospel, it will be a challenge um, in word and behaviors to the ruling powers. Okay? So if there's ruling powers that aren't Christian, our witness will be a challenge. Then. So it's a witness, that, it's an encounter that confronts, and usually this results in persecution or something like that, resistance, you know. They don't like it when you do that. The second is it's an encounter that converts, okay. So if all we do only meets with resistance, we're not having a missionary encounter yet. It has to also cause people to convert. You know what? You're right. This is better. This Jesus is true. I get it. And that's freeing me from the bondages of our culture, whatever they are, and they're different in different cultures. There are universal human ones, but each culture has different specific ones. And in a more accurate way is what I was just talking about. It's an encounter that calls out corporate idols of the culture, which is why we can't be so assimilated and infected that we can't tell the difference anymore. And an idol, we don't have to get too... Um, a good definition that they use is a good thing or a thing that's put in the place of God. So something that we're worshiping instead of God. And it can be something that is, in fact, good or just amoral, like money, for example, which is a good thing. But it's not to be worshipped, and it is a lot. Now, in ancient cultures, and then even in some cultures now, that are more in tune with the spiritual world, they'll just have an idol that's for money or riches or whatever, and they'll worship it expecting that if I worship this thing, it will give me money somehow. We've, like, removed that part of our thinking wrongly, I would say, in some way. I mean, that's not a good thing. <laughs> let, me, let me make that very clear. That's a bad thing to do. But the idea that there's a spirit behind this is correct, okay? So we've eliminated this whole spiritual dynamic. So we just think it's like, well, you know, 
you end up worshiping money, but we don't even have the language for that to even make sense anymore. You see, so I think we're kind of two steps back from being able to get free from this. And that's why it's important that we know what we're doing because it's an encounter that confronts, it's an encounter that converts, and it's an encounter that calls out the corporate idols of the culture. So I think in this story that we're about to go through is two examples that exhibit differing parts of this and are effective in that way, okay? But I think together they will serve as a challenge to our culture in kind of the way I was just describing. The biblical worldview is a worldview that incorporates good and evil. A lot of our culture has tried to put that aside. We like empirical data, science, which isn't good or bad. It's just right and wrong or something like that. But it's like when you only have science to work with, you can tell you what is happening and how it's happening and what this will do and what that will do, but you can't say if that's good or not or right or not. So how are you going to know as a human what's a good human or a right human if you have no basis to have that conversation anymore? And our culture largely doesn't. We don't usually talk or think in these terms, but just you can, if you do, if you start thinking about how we approach things in our culture, you can see this all over the place. You know what I mean? We as Christian people get our guide from Jesus, the Bible, and it is a challenge to these things in many, many categories. And that's okay, and it's supposed to be. Um, but these stories that we're going to encounter here will probably challenge, if we're honest, if we're reading this like a historical story, which is what I believe the book of Acts is. I don't believe it's a mythology. It's not like Homer's Odyssey or something like that. You see what I'm saying? It's not just a story, or even like Lord of the Rings, which might have allegorical you know, spiritual principles to it or something like that. It's a good book, but it's not true in the sense of this happened 2,000 years ago. This did. And if we're reading it that way, this will challenge, I believe, our culture's view of the world into a more biblical one, okay? So we're going to watch these people have missionary encounters, which I think will be a missionary encounter for us. I hope that makes sense what I just said. So last week, we're moving through the book of Acts, and we've laid this out ahead of time. Last week, we talked about Stephen, um, who was uh, set up to, uh, they, they, the, the apostles had to pick some guys to help do things. You know, like, we need to be focusing on praying and teaching the Bible and stuff like that. We need other people to help with this other stuff. Philip, uh, Stephen was one of those guys, and then stuff ended up happening, and he gets killed because he challenged people with his logic that God had given him, and he was performing miracles and everything. He's not an apostle, and he's doing that. And so what you see is that at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus has given his disciples this thing. So it's like Luke 24, 46 through 49. He told them, this is... This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. This is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So he's saying you've got a mission. It is to... Tell everybody what you know. Witness to this. It's going to start here in Jerusalem. Once I send the Holy Spirit with power for you to do that, and then it's going to go. And then you see all the way up to like chapter 7 last week, they're still in Jerusalem. And then Stephen gets killed, and all of a sudden this, this scattering thing starts to happen. And so what you're starting to see is it's going this from Jerusalem to all the nations. And this chapter is a transitional point in that with this missionary encounter thing. Because what you see is in those seven guys they appointed, Philip is another one of those guys, and that's who we're going to talk about today. And at the beginning of this chapter, they bury Stephen's body, the people are scattered, and then Saul, who turns into Paul later, is going around and says, quote, destroying the church. So he's uh, persecuting people, and he's arresting women and children, which is like, it's included specifically because that's like horribly bad, you know. You'd only do that if it was like the, like the most egregious thing or whatever. So he's not only trying to stop the church, he's trying to stop it on the most extreme terms. So that's an important note, which we'll need for next week. But it says destroying the church. So people kind of scatter. I don't know if it's out of fear of that or I don't know too much about that. But either way, we start to see this to all nations thing starting to happen. And it, it, it moves immediately. Philip goes into Samaria. He heads down to Samaria, which is, this is important in a lot of ways. One this is kind of the beginning of what we would call like cross-cultural 
missional work, which is important. This is a first maybe challenge to think. Like, we're not only called to reach people like us. See what I'm saying? Samaritans to Jewish people, they didn't like each other a lot. That's why Jesus told the story, the good Samaritan, because it was like, let me pick the person that would bother everybody the most as a Samaritan. And they're like half Jewish. They're like the Jewish people who interbred with the local people, which was something God said not to do. So there's a lot of sort of Jewish stuff and also a lot of pagan stuff all interwoven. They don't respect or like each other. But Philip goes there and starts performing all these miracles. And you see in Acts 8, 4 through 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So they're just doing it wherever, which is a good wherever they went. Could have been also the title of this. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. So here you have another guy that's been assigned a job supportive job in this thing he's scattered he's preaching about jesus wherever he goes he goes into a place where it's like the people we don't like but he's like hey guys good news things are different now we don't have to hate each other jesus is offering this to all of us including you guys the people that maybe my people don't like so much you see we're starting to get this thing happening and people are getting healed again history book you know the guy shows up and people are getting healed that's good And we would go, that's awesome. That would challenge some of us. Some of us need to be challenged, okay? But even deeper into that, he's with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. There are impure spirits. There are evil spirits in this world. This is the biblical worldview, which is set against and challenging our worldview. That doesn't mean we got to go around all the time afraid. Jesus wins, okay? However, Just because Jesus wins doesn't mean that this isn't happening. It actually should be happening more. And frankly, when you look at the Gospels, when Jesus sends people out, casting out demons is on the list of to-dos pretty much every time. It might be every, every time. We can look that up. But it's not, it comes up a lot. So, in my opinion, it should come up a lot here. We just don't talk about it because it's maybe weird. Some of us need to be challenged. Because these things are weird. And here's why that matters a lot is like the idol thing I went through. When you at least understand there's a spirit behind this wealth thing that I'm interacting with. When somebody comes in with a better or more powerful spirit of sorts, you go, I get this interaction. When you try to hide the fact that there's a spirit there, it's still there. You just think, I, I don't talk, we don't talk about those things anymore. You know, that's just superstition or something like that. Now, you, that doesn't go away. You just are pretending like it's not real. So now when, someone's, when <laughs> the power of God shows up and the thing that's certainly real reacts to it, we might be ill-equipped to deal with it because we've become so assimilated into our culture. You see what I'm saying now? Okay. So, again, we do not need to be superstitious. We do not need to be afraid all the time. These things are real at the same time, okay? But with the power of Jesus, these things with shrieks are running away, and everybody's happy about it. Very different than what we read about last week, where everybody was like, let's kill the guy, okay? So this is good, but it's a challenge. He's preaching the good news about Jesus, performing signs, and word gets back, and the, uh, this is important because the, the Jerusalem church is like, this is a good thing. Like, this is good. They don't go, hold up, yo. That's not the people we hang out with. They say, yes, like, this is good. And so you see that it continues um, that Peter and uh, John come in. And in Acts, or so in Acts 14, 8, 14, sorry, Acts 8, verse 14, <laughs> um, when the, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And then when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, and they simply had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. This also may be a challenge to some of us who have been assimilated into a Christian culture that doesn't understand these things. From a theological perspective, the baptism of the Spirit 
and salvation or baptism are basically a thing, okay? They do not have to happen. They don't always happen separately, okay? But you can see experientially that they can happen separately, but we don't have to separate them. As in, what I mean by that is this. When you come to faith in Jesus and, uh, and receive baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are filled with the Spirit, or you can, you can be. But as an example here in your Bible, these people weren't. They believed in Jesus, but they had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're like, oh, gosh, we need to make this right. Let's lay our hands on them that they might receive the Spirit. So to use this as a say, say you have to have two separate events. You can't do that theologically. But you can, but you can say they can be two separate events. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? You can't say they must be two separate events, but they can be two separate events. Everybody got me there? Okay. That's important because some people are certain that, that what I just said isn't true. We can disagree, but I, I, I think that this example makes the case that it, it can happen. And it's important that you understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a thing that all Christian people need. Because that's their response here. Now things get weirder. There's a guy there who's a sorcerer. Again, we're not in the Lord of the Rings world. We're in our world 2,000 years ago. There's a sorcerer. These kind of people cast spells and stuff. And if they didn't work, they wouldn't have a job. Okay? This is a challenge to our world. If you go to other countries, there are people doing this Right now, be even more frank, there's people in our country right now doing this sort of stuff, okay? So we don't even need to pretend like, again, we're not afraid of these people, we win, okay? But they exist, and they're doing these things. And this guy's doing things, and he's claiming maybe he's the incarnation of this deity that they have or whatever, and he's able to perform magic things, like... Pharaoh has magicians in the book of Exodus that can turn their staffs into snakes. And, like, I don't know if you've seen Discovery Channel shows. People weren't stupid back then. It's not like, well, they had a snake wrapped around a stick, and when they threw it down, the snake came off, and it just looked like... It's like, people aren't that dumb. You see what I'm saying? Like, uh, frankly, people back then probably saw a lot more snakes on a daily basis than you and I do, you know, unless you live in this house here like, <laughs> like we do. Or you hang out around that pond. That's a note, children. During the summer, there's a lot of snakes. But point being, the, the, the evil spirits have power as well. It's just subordinate to, like you see in that story in the book of Exodus, they can do sort of a thing that looks like what God does, but then God's snake eats all of theirs. So are we scared of them? No. Are they powerful? Yes. Are, is Jesus more powerful? Absolutely. Okay, I'm just trying to get on this stuff. So this guy's interested in what they're doing, and... Um, Acts 8, 9 through 13. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, amazed by all the people of Samaria, or he am- and amazed all the people. He boasted he was someone great and people, blah, 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 blah. Um, the man, okay, hold on. But when, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere and was astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So we have a situation now. This guy is a sorcerer, and he says he's baptized, and he's following, but he's really caught up in, I'm really impressed by what you're able to do because it's better than what I'm doing. I need to figure this out, okay? And so then Peter and them come, and they're like baptizing people in the Holy Spirit, and and he's like, ha-ha, I got it now. That's what I've needed. And so magicians back then, now, I don't know, I don't do this stuff, but you could buy magic formulas from people. Again, this is not Harry Potter. This is like our world, you know, and these things did things sometimes, okay? Sometimes they probably didn't, but they can. So it's right for him to think, I'll just buy this from these guys. So he says to them, um, Acts 8, 18 through 24, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the hands, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. There's an exclamation point there, so he's mad, or at least aggressive. 
<laughs> you have not you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray, for the, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. So it kind of ends on a, that's the last we hear about this guy. So, I mean, it might not, I at least think there's hope there. He's like, oh, damn, I need to change what I'm, you know, I, I hope that there's repentance I hear in that. So maybe it ends on a high note. But you need to see a difference between magic and miracles. And the magic involves greed, self-aggrandizing, and, um, and miracles are done by God, and they give glory to God. They're not the same thing. And a pagan sorcerer's powers are from Satan, not from God, okay? And, but people can get caught up in these kinds of things to the point that these things become an idol. And that's not it either. If it's not pointing back to Jesus for you, just be careful. So that's the end of that story. And then it moves immediately to another story. So God leads Philip with what we would call an absurd command. He's like, hey, head south from here. And we read that and go, okay, cool. Like, there's something south of there. But Philip knows that road is into the desert where no one is. And it says, it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, hyphen, the desert road, just to make sure. Because I think there was two. There was one that kind of went towards the coast, and then there's one that's like nowhere, all right? The desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, you know. And I don't have it here, but it's, he's saying, like, things are going great where he's at. And at that point, Jesus tells him to go to the middle of nowhere, okay? So this is another challenge to maybe our worldview, that when God is in control and when we surrender to God, he will tell us to do things. And often those things aren't the kind of things we would think of. We use the Bible to guide us because sometimes people think, well, God told me to do this really bad thing. And we can say, actually, <laughs> you made that up. <laughs> Though that happens too. But Philip here, trust the Lord because God is saying, uh, you are, you know, he's like, go out to this place. So he's like, okay, I'll, in, in, like logic would say, stay where this amazing stuff is happening and keep doing that. But since you're God and I'm not, a thing that he seems to understand, I'll go. And when he goes, he encounters someone. And this is an important someone. This guy is, they call him the Ethiopian eunuch and he's in a chariot and he's reading or having read to him the scroll of Isaiah. So in the middle of nowhere where he's not supposed to encounter anyone, he encounters a very important person. Now, when they say Ethiopian, that's not totally connected to the current country that we call Ethiopia. It was actually a larger sub-Saharan African kingdom. And some of that is, there's a clue because of he works for the, uh, the queen, um, I can't think of her name right now. Is it up on there? Yes, Candace in English, but it's, yeah, but Kandaka, I think is her name. Something. Anyway, this stuff's all, people know who these people are. It's not like we're guessing. There's a kingdom there, huge, it's in like Sudan and some other areas. So big fact that I think Rome had to make treaties with these people. Like, we don't want to fight them. Like, we'll just make, like, it was a big kingdom. And this guy's like really important in that. So he's, a, he's an African man, and he's a eunuch. But he's interested in the book of Isaiah, which creates a weird conundrum of who is this guy. And the Bible doesn't tell us. And scholars somewhat disagree. But when I'm talking to you about starting in Jerusalem and going to the nations, now we've seen what, what they would call, like in a bad way, half-breeds is what they call these Samaritan people. Now they're saved. And the Lord has filled them with the Holy Spirit. Now we have a guy, this is an African man, who's powerful towards the south. So the gospel is going east west, north, south. Immediately, we got a guy who's a very important southern person. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. So some people think, well, maybe this guy... The, the term that I ran into a lot was God-fearing. He at least has some understanding of who God is from a Judeo-Christian perspective because he's interested in it. But the Old Testament laws would prohibit him from being a full Jewish man in the kingdom because of his status as a eunuch, which they bring up five times, so he's a, it's, it's true. 
And so he's not a Hebrew man, okay? He might have a faith that's become uh, Jewish in the sense of that's his view of God and everything like that. But he also doesn't understand it. And we see that in the story because he's like, I don't understand what I'm reading. But he's God-fearing. He knows something. Um, Craig Keener, the guy who's the theologian who wrote that book that we're reading with about his wife, says that this is the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts. I think he makes a really good case for it. And you say, why does that matter? Why do we even care? We're talking about this going out thing. And this guy's at least moving in that direction. He's a very important person that can take this gospel of Jesus to an entire Gentile group of people that is the entire continent of Africa or has that influence or something like that. So Philip hears him reading because people back then didn't read in their head like we do. They would read out loud. That's weird, but that's true. Reading out, reading in your head became something that people did, I think, like after the Middle Ages. I'm not an expert, but uh, even if some people could do it, um, it was rare. So either somebody's reading it to him or he's reading it. Philip hears this. He's like, ha! And he's reading a chapter of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 53. He's talking about Jesus, the suffering servant, this whole thing. So Philip says to him this. He runs up to him. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So it's like, God tells you to go. Leave this, this great thing you're doing. Go to nowhere. And look, there's this really important guy that needs this information from you. Now he's in the chariot with this guy because he's following the Lord. So he invited him up to sit with him. This was the patches of scripture that Enoch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So that's an Old Testament prophet he's reading, talking about what happened to Jesus just recently, okay? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, when you're following the guidance of the Lord, you can't make this stuff up. Because when God tells you to go to the middle of nowhere, you're not expecting to see a really important person. And then when you do, you're like, hey, look, there is somebody here. Like, why is he reading the book of Isaiah? Why is he right on that spot where he's reading about the suffering servant of Jesus? Which is, which is actually... The book of Isaiah talks about Israel as a whole being this suffering servant. And then it makes a distinction right at this point where it says to a man, a singular person who is the truest form of Israel, which is Jesus, who's going to accomplish this thing. He finds him exactly at that moment and it tells him everything. And the guy is ready. And so he says they, they're going along and they're passing by some water. And he says, as they travel along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of, me, of my being baptized? And so he baptizes him. Again, when we follow Jesus, these kinds of things happen. You will find yourself in an unlikely place, in an unlikely situation, with unlikely occurrences, in unlikely readiness to get saved. Like Stephen, having similar understanding and interactions, gets killed for it, okay? This guy following, Philip following, he ends up with this guy who's a convert of, like, extreme importance because this guy can go back and tell everybody. You know, he's, like, powerful enough in their country to say, like, you know, hey, guess what I just found out, you know? And he's ready for it. And maybe, here's the last challenge to maybe our worldview. <laughs> if I was like Philip, I'd be like, this seems important. I should probably go with you, you know? Or I'm going to hook up here. This is a, you know... Again, what did I read at the very, very beginning of this whole thing? Missionary encounter, not a withdrawal from the world. He's not withdrawn. He's going out. It's not a takeover politically or a synthesis with church and state. This could have been a, this could have been a pretty tempting thing right there where he could have like, look, dude, we could head down and do this thing. You know, they're trying to kill us here anyway. Let's go down and you and me, you know, we can do this. You know, I'm not saying he necessarily thought that. He could have. Because what happens is he baptizes this guy, and then when he comes up, he disappears. Again, not Lord of the Rings, our world. And God, has done, God doesn't do this a lot in the Bible, but it does happen a handful of times where people are somewhere, and then God goes, 
and then they're somewhere else. And he's allowed to do that because he's God. And if you don't like that, it's okay. I understand. This is challenging. Like I said, this is not, it's not, our culture isn't just right because we live here, okay? This is hard to grasp with our minds, but you don't have to. God is God, and he is challenging the idols of our, of our culture. And so anyway, it tells Philip, he's like in another place, and he just keeps doing this kind of work, you know? But that other guy heads south with his message, and God knows what he's up to because the interesting thing is I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of record of what happens, but Christianity has always been so potent in these areas for the last 2,000 years. There's also a lot of really bad stuff. But the point is, you know, north, south, east, west, this is a big piece of the south story that happens at the beginning, and they know it's that important because on the page they give it a lot of time, okay? And it's just one guy versus this whole city which we just read about beforehand. So I'm going to invite Cheryl to come on up here. I want us to think in the context of, well, we're going to engage with what you're saying. God is calling us to have a missionary encounter um, with people and with our culture. And when I was talking um, with Cheryl this morning, it dawned on me how what Cheryl is doing is in a way what, we would call a missionary encounter with our culture because it confronts our culture. It can convert our culture, and it's calling out um, the corporate idols of our culture. It's not withdrawn. It's reaching out to help people. And it's not a takeover. It's supporting, and it's not assimilated. And so um, I just want her to share. She sent out an email this week. First Coast Women's Services exists to provide, and I'll let you give the better definition, to provide support for women mostly, but men as well, who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy situation, to help them, support them with the things they need to raise a child, provide for a child, and all those kinds of things, which is a lot, especially when they're young, maybe unmarried, and they don't know what they've gotten themselves into. And our faith in Jesus calls us to help support people in this situation. Hence why we want to support First Coast Women's Services. And I saw this week, she sent out an email saying, I need help with some volunteers. So I said, do you want to come talk about that on Sunday? She's like, sure. So here we are. And I'm sure everything she said, I'll hand it off to you. I'll pray, though. Lord, I just pray that you would bless this message. We know that she has way more to share than, um, we just pray that you would guide her in the words that she needs to share with us. And speak to our hearts, Lord, how we can engage in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I was like totally engrossed with what you were saying. I'm not ready for me at all. Just still hanging right there with you. So gosh, um, uh, <laughs> so I, help me while well, I just kind of transition here for a minute. I, I have notes, but that's because I have some numbers that I want to share with you in case I don't forget. So I promise I'm not going to be up here for a really long time, even though it might look like it. Um, so, so Brian just told you, you know, I just sent this email out this week, and uh, he is the only one who has responded, by the way, so far. And, um, and then when he said in his text, well, how about this Sunday? I was like, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> just do it. Okay, God will get me ready. But um, so, and then, and then the week was crazy, of course, and it wasn't until yesterday that I sat down. I thought, okay, Lord, what, I, what am I going to share and so I had no idea that Brian was going to be talking about missionary encounter. I get here. I, I've been here. I don't know how many times I've been here, and, but I don't know if I remember seeing the missions back there. I don't know. Maybe just left my, huh? Okay, great. Thank you. So, but anyway, so, so this is what was on my heart yesterday was when I was thinking about what would I share with you was um, I want to introduce you to a mission field. Well, um, I know, you know, when we go on mission trips, short-term mission trips, or we, you know, sign up to be engaged as a long-term missionary someplace, um, we don't just get off the boat or the plane, whatever the case may be, and start telling people about Jesus. I, I suppose there are some people who do that, you know, who have those kind of encounters, maybe share about him on the plane. But typically, um, when you go on a mission trip or you engage in, on the mission field, you, you start off by meeting a need, right? Digging a well, you know, 
you know, rebuilding an orphanage, painting a school, you name it, whatever. And those acts of service then um, develop relationships and create an opportunity to introduce folks to Jesus. So when you, as a volunteer, walk through the doors of First Coast Women's Services, you're stepping into a mission field, the mission field of our culture, because we see all sorts of things. Uh, An unplanned pregnancy is the, quote, need. It's the um, well that needs to be dug. It's the school that needs to be painted. That's the need is the unplanned pregnancy. And so that's why I think of um, First Coast Women's Services as a mission field. And our mission is to prevent the tragedy of abortion and to introduce people to Jesus. And because at the end of the day, the real need is Jesus. Yes, they need diapers and they need baby clothes and maternity clothes. They need to be educated about their options. They need to be told the truth. Yes, all those things are true. But the big truth is Jesus. And so that's the bottom, at the bottom line of what we're doing. So just to kind of paint the picture of the need, in 2020, just in Duval County alone, there were 6,246 abortions just in Duval County. Now, and just to kind of paint the picture, because I'm in Clay County, so you might be wondering, why do I say that? That's because um, abortions are not performed in um, the surrounding counties. If, you want, if you're in Duval, I mean, if you're in Clay, Baker, um, Nassau, you're going to go to Duval County. So, so it's our, our clients in, in Clay County, that's where they would go. But here's what I think about, and that's, okay, so if they're done, offered six days a week, which I could go into a lot more detail about now how they can, you can get the pills um, via the mail. So, you know, but if I'm just being conservative and saying six days a week, um, that's 20 babies per day. But let's come back to that big number. And if I divide that out, or never mind, I'm just going to skip that part. But um, if it's 6,246 babies, that's approximately 6,246 mothers. 6,246 fathers, and I say approximately because sometimes women have multiple um, procedures, I'll say. So 6,246 mothers, 6,246 fathers, and if you, if you consider the grandparents on either side of that, con- that, that, uh, that grouping, this is where I needed my paper, 12,492 grandfathers 12,492 grandmothers. How many grandmothers and grandfathers in here? You don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to, but just think about that. I have, I have counseled grandmothers in my office who learned of an aborted grandbaby, and I've never witnessed such grief. Never witnessed such grief. So the loss of the baby is tragic enough, but you, get, you see the multiple, the ripple effect, Right? And so this is our mission field. This is our mission field. The babies, the mothers, the fathers, the families is our mission field. And so I was thinking about that, and the verse that came to me was from Matthew 9.36, where uh, Jesus, it says that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to send the Lord of the harvest, for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And we need laborers at the Clay County location, and we're praying earnestly for the Lord to send them to us because the folks that come in, they are harassed by the world. They are totally without the shepherd. They are totally, for the most part, without God. We see women who are Wiccan, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, Jewish, Christian, you name it. We see it. This is our mission field. And this, the unplanned pregnancy is God's opportunity to transform their life, to trans, which is just amazing to me, just amazing to me. In their eyes, it's the end of the road. It's the end of the world. But in God's eyes, it's his opportunity it's that unlikely, you use the word unlikely, and it's un, these are just unlikely opportunities for our, our clients. Uh, Brian mentioned what we do. 
Um, we do educate women about their options because we find that if they know the truth, then they're more likely to choose life. Um, if they choose to parent, we do provide them with all those things. They can come to us all throughout their pregnancy and for even a year after they have their baby uh, for material supplies and education about parenting and even healthy relationships, how to have a budget, and Bible studies. We always, always, always pray with them. We always look for opportunities to share the gospel. Um, if they're not able to parent, we'll walk with them through adoption if that's what they want to do. And even if they choose abortion, Brian's mentioned this before, I know, about our abortion healing ministry. We want woman, women to feel loved, not judged. We want them to know compassion. Of course, we don't want them to make that decision. But if they do, we want them to come back to us because we want to introduce them to the healer, the one who heals not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And we also have a program to help women and men walk through the loss of um, miscarriage, stillbirth, or early infant loss. So we want to capture people's hearts um, for the Lord because in the brokenness of these situations, nothing's going to change for their future until they meet the one who can change their future, and that's Jesus. So I want to tell you a story and then I want to talk to you about, just briefly, about ways you can volunteer. Um, I could tell you lots of stories. Um, two, I want to tell you two. One was a young woman who came to us. And you could tell from the, the way when she walked in that she had a, her, her, her history was broken you could just tell it was all over her face. She didn't want to look anyone in the eyes. She was constantly downcast. And, um, but when she was in the counseling room, she shared with her client advocate how she had been um, clean from heroin for um, almost two years, but she was still struggling with life. And here she was in this unplanned pregnancy in a situation that probably helped her get into that drug life. And... Um, she said to her advocate that when she was on drugs, that everything in her felt dark and ugly and black in her heart. And sometimes it still felt dark in her life. And so her advocate, just, she didn't whip out a tract, although we have those, um, and start going through the four spiritual laws or anything like that. She just talked about how in life, we could be looking this way where the Lord is, but the things of this world get in our way until we just kind of get away from God and we kind of turn our backs and then we're walking in the darkness. And, then, and she explained how Jesus is there just waiting for us to come back to him and simply asked her, would she like to turn around and come back to, and be in relationship with the Lord? And she said, yes, it was just that simple. And the other day, we had someone, um, a doctor actually referred someone to us. She called and said she needed help with um, sleeping arrangements for her baby that's yet to be born but coming soon. And normally, we only give out things like that for women who have gone through our program. But in this particular case, I just kind of felt the Holy Spirit say, help her. So we made an appointment for her to come in so that we could have the opportunity to talk with her. And um, she, did, she was not able to make her appointment. And um, <laughs> this, is, uh, this was an unlikely go-to at moment. And so we had someone, one of our, uh, actually my coworker, we decided we were going to prepare this layette for, or a bassinet for her and a, um, a layette filled with all sorts of baby supplies. Long story short, we were able to give um, these items to this young woman who has other children. Her husband had lost his job because of COVID, and they were struggling. He was working, you know, coming up with work to do, but struggling to get their feet um, back on sturdy ground. And um, she, they just wept when they saw all the materials. And she had on a shirt that said something about Jesus. And so um, my coworker asked her, was she a believer? And she said, what? <laughs> And long story short, um, she was able to lead her to the Lord. And this woman and her family have a new future because they met the one who can change their life, who can change the future. 
So how can you be a part of that? And we really need help. Um, there are lots of ways. I like to tell folks, what is your gift? What do you love to do? I have on my key ring back there, I have this little creature that the husband of one of our volunteers crocheted a bunch of these things for us to give to clients. That's something that he could do. Um, I have, a, one time I, I asked that question, what is your gift? And I said, maybe you like to pull weeds. And a sh hand shot up at the back of the room. So today, I have someone who likes to pull weeds who comes to the center. But we could use some more gardening. And we have a big piece of property in the back. So we could use some work done with that. Maybe you're into computers and you might like to help with data entry. We could use some help with that. Um, maybe you like to plan events and you want to be on our community relations committee. Okay. But where we also really need some folks desperately is at our center. We need receptionists, which is the first encounter that our clients have with um, the Lord and with First Coast Women's Services. And we also need client advocates. We, put, we have training that we give you. We totally equip you for that. It's a process that you go through. Um, so if you think the Lord, and that's the question, is, you know, these things that might be, they might tug on your heart, um, but it might not be the season for you, um, and that's okay. But if you hear the Lord saying, yes, there's something for you to do there, please come talk to me, okay? And it's not like talking to me today. It's not committing you to anything. It's just starting the process to come and evaluate and, and learn where the Lord might have you plug in, okay? Another um, very important thing that all of you could do right now today if you wanted, every single one of you, um, if you have a cell phone, is you can be part of our prayer text. I think, and, and do you get the prayer text? Martina does. I know Jenny does. Trudy does. Um, the prayer text ministry is every time we have an abortion-minded client come to our center, we send out an anonymous text. We make up initials for her. And basically, it may say something like, pray for um, S.T., um, seven-week baby, FOB, that stands for the father of the baby, is an abuser she's trying to get away from. And she thinks abortion is the only way, okay? And so we send out a prayer text that goes out to over, how many people are getting that now? 13, over 1,300 people are receiving those prayer texts. Imagine, now you don't know, as the person in need, you don't know all those people are praying for you, but just imagine you're in a crisis situation and you think it's, at the, it's the end and there's no hope for you, but 1,300 people start praying for you. You can be one of those people. You can increase that number. So that's the prayer text ministry that everybody can be a part of, okay? Um, again, I have information. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us. And again, if the Lord's calling you to step into this mission field, come on. We'd love to have you. Kayla, come on up here, and we'll, we're going to close in a song. I want to say just a couple things to close all this out. This mission God has called us all to be a part of, he's called us all to be a part of, and all of our roles are different. And this is a real need in our real community. And frankly, it's one of those real needs that, like, a lot of Christian people like to talk a lot about. A lot of talk about being pro-life. A lot of talk about that. A lot of talk about it. There's very little actual work being done. Not by people like Cheryl, but by the people that like to talk a lot about it. And if we're going to have a real missionary encounter with our culture, we're going to have to walk a lot more than we talk. Alright? And as she said, there's a lot of different things we can all do and this is one of many places that need our help. But if God is stirring you now, like he stirred Philip, you need to go south on the desert road. 
um, you need to act on that. And like she said, we can figure it out, you know. But I'm going to give you a couple pieces of advice. One, do it. Two, be patient, okay? takes time to figure things like this out. Three, some of these kind of commitments are seasonal, all right? You help for your time, and then you pass the baton to somebody else. This isn't all about us individually. You know, we're not the Savior Jesus is, okay? But we need to be meaningfully engaged in these things, okay? Pastor Jeff signed us up years ago uh, to help at a school for lunchtime every Wednesday. And it's difficult for me to describe to you how difficult that was for me personally. I hated it. At an extreme level. Like, it was horrible. I didn't know what to do. It was awkward. And there was all sorts of rules I didn't understand that seemed to change. And in spite, in spite of all that, our presence there was really helpful. Even mine, you know. I found a place. I was like, you know what? I'll just be the cleaning guy, you know, which seems to be a constant need. And then I don't have to do all this other stuff. And then it was help, you know. And uh, so even though I hated it, we were still helpful. But the other thing is that um, you can and you will find things. Because other people in this room, when I just shared that, might even go, that sounds like fun. So when you have the body of Christ, all right, there is enough difference in us that something that I literally hate is something that's fun to somebody else, okay? And so we need to start opening ourselves up, not to be guilted into doing weird things, you know, and not that what we did was good. I'm not saying we were wrong to do that. It was right. It's just I didn't like it. <laughs> And sometimes God will call you to do things you don't like, but there are things out there that you think that will be fun. Not just fun as in like we're having a great time, but like I am meaningfully engaged now. And I think this is going to be one for some of us. So Father, I pray that you would stir in our hearts what it is you would have us to see about missionary encounter with our culture, about us being a way of people who walk the talk that we claim. And Father, I pray that you would bless First Coast Women's Services with the financial support, the resources, and the laborers that they need to accomplish their mission in this, in this city and in this place, and that we would see the saving of lives that, through their work that they're doing, and that we may partner with them um, in real and tangible ways to accomplish this in Jesus' name. So even now, as this music is starting to play, we're going to sing a song to close. If you're feeling stirred to be a part of this, go ahead and go.